0: you have your copy of the scriptures, let me encourage you to turn to Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1 is where we will be at this morning as we begin a new study through the book of Leviticus. If you've ever had the opportunity to travel outside of the United States. Well, sometimes even in, within the United States, definitely. But if you travel to a place that is unfamiliar to you, to a different culture, it doesn't take long oftentimes to feel like this is not home. I feel out of place here. I remember when I was In between my sophomore and junior years in college, I had the opportunity to go to South Africa on a mission trip. And there, there was definitely a sense of not being at home, being in a different culture, but I also had the sense during the three weeks that we were there that, you know, this is really not all that different because it was a pretty westernized area where we were at. But then fast forward a few years, and I find myself at 1 a.m. in the morning, landing in Calcutta, India, hopping into taxis, driving to where we're going to stay for the next couple of days. And within five minutes, I knew I was not at home, even in the middle of the night. And As we walk through the book of Leviticus, and even as we step our toes into it this morning, we are going to quickly feel like we are not at home. There is a distance between us and this book. There's a distance between us and all of Scripture because of time and culture and so forth. But we particularly feel it in some places in Scripture, and we especially feel it when we get to the book of Leviticus, to the point that when I said last week that we were going to be walking through the book of Leviticus, some of you were like, really? Leviticus? We just finished Philippians. There are 65 other books available to you, and the one that you chose was Leviticus So this morning, I want us to answer that question. You see it there in your bulletin. Leviticus? Really? Yeah, really. Let's read Leviticus chapter 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted For him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces, and the sons of Aaron the priest shall put "...fire on the altar, and arrange wood on the fire, and Aaron's sons the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord." If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish, and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar, and he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat, and the priests shall arrange them on The wood that is on the fire on the altar, but the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons. And the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall remove its crop with its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side in the place for ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. We are not in Kansas anymore. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, as we come to You, God, as we enter into consideration of these Your words, spoken, preserved long ago, handed down to this age, as we sang earlier. Father, these are not only Your words to Your people millennia ago. Father, as part of Your revealed Word, these are Your words to us in the 21st century. So, Father, we pray that You would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, what it is that You have to say to us, Reynoldsburg Baptist Church, in this gift your word, this book, to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, what I really want to do is set up where we're going, explain a bit why it is, why really, why Leviticus. I want to explain that just a bit. So I have two two points to my outline, and they really are the two words of the title there. The first, the first word is Leviticus. I want us to make some introductory observations about Leviticus. And then the second word is really. That is, I want to give some reasons why we as Reynoldsburg Baptist Church should study this book together. So first, Leviticus. Some, some opening observations about this book. When you think about the book of Leviticus, if you've read portions of the Bible before, you have some familiarity with the Bible, when you think of Leviticus, what do you think of? Perhaps you think about laws, rules, sacrifices, blood, And all of those would be true. We find all of those things and much more in the book of Leviticus. But I think the first thing, maybe not the most important thing, but one of the most important things that we need to observe about the book of Leviticus is that it is not a law book like the Ohio Revised Code. Notice how the book of Leviticus opens The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, this is a story. This is a historical account of what actually happened when God gave his word to Moses instructing the people in all of these ways. But it does not come to us simply as a bland, empty, emotionless list of cold, hard rules. It comes to us as it is the story of the one true and living God revealing to His people whom He has rescued out of slavery and is preparing to take them into the land that He had promised generations that He would give to them. And here, He is telling them, and we have given to us, how it is that He is telling them how they are to live as His people. So that as we come to the book of Leviticus, its account comes to us as the story of God's speaking to His people, how He expects that they would live as His holy people but it also comes to us embedded in a bigger story. That story that I've already alluded to, and that is the story of God's rescue of Israel out of Egypt to be His kingdom of priests, to be a royal priesthood, to be a witness of holiness to the nations, and this is how they are to live as His people. He gives them this book, not as the means by which they will be rescued or they will be saved, but this is His word to His rescued, to His saved people, about how they are to live as His chosen, treasured possession. But it comes to us in the context of an even bigger story than that, doesn't it? Because it comes to us in a story that goes all the way back to the garden, that goes all the way back to when our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against the one true and living God, choosing to do precisely what He told them not to do as they ate of that fruit. And they were plunged into sin under the curse and all of us with them. But in that curse, remember, as we have talked about many times, and Lord willing, we will reference many times again, in the pronouncement of judgment, there is a promise that God makes. A promise of rescue. A promise of one to come who will crush the head of the serpent who had tempted Adam and Eve. And also in that garden, we have a picture. A picture of a better provision than Adam and Eve could provide for themselves. And so the story continues to unfold as you read from Genesis, Exodus, and now you come to Leviticus. A story of a God who has promised to redeem fallen creation. And so when we come to the book of Leviticus, we are reading about The story of God's redemptive plan unfolding. And as we read about this redemptive history, as we read about God's intention for his people to live as his holy people, there are a number of features about the story of the book of Leviticus that are worth at least observing quickly we will spend more time on these as we work our way through the books but as we read this story as we read about God's intention and his word to his people what will we find well first we will find in the story of Leviticus what is at the heart of worshiping a holy God the heart of worshiping a holy God. And do you know what is at the heart of worshiping a holy God? It's what we find in the first seven chapters of Leviticus. And it's summed up in a word, sacrifice. There is no worship of the one true and living God by an unholy, unrighteous people without The payment of sacrifice. The heart of worship is sacrifice. We also see in this story the leaders of the community and the beginnings of worshiping a holy God. We're not only told about the sacrifices, but we're also told about when Aaron and his sons are installed as in many respects, the worship leaders of this congregation. And so we hear about the beginnings of this people, their leaders, and their worship of a holy God. We read about hindrances, to worshiping a holy God. In chapters 11 through 16, hindrances to worshiping a holy God, where God God talks about uncleanness in the community that will show up in a variety of ways and how it is to be dealt with, culminating in the central activity of the Jews' worship calendar, and that is the Day of Atonement. We hear about the heart of worshiping a holy God, the leaders and be, the beginnings of worshiping a holy God. We read about hindrances to worshiping a holy God. But we also read in this book, in chapters 17 through 27, what it is to worship a holy God personally and corporately. Worshiping a holy God. Personally and corporately, we read more about the sacrifices and food that the Jews are called to observe in their lives of personal and corporate worship. We read about how their personal lives in their sexual experience are to be an expression of worship to a holy God. We read about their worshiping a holy God as they live their lives in relationship with their neighbors, perhaps the one of the most well-known of all the, the statements in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 19.18, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. We read about the worship calendar of the Jews, how they were called as a people to worship God at particular times, in particular ways, over the course of a calendar year, and even over the course of Fifty years we are called, we, we read about a people who is called to live a life of holiness. Speak to all the congregation, Leviticus 19:2. Speak to all the congregation, of the people of Israel, and say to them, "You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God and am, am holy." Five times. This phrase is repeated. You are to be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. The priests are identified as holy, as set apart for God's purposes. The sacrifices are identified as holy. The fruit of the promised land that they are going to enter here in this book is identified as being holy unto the Lord how this people will worship a holy God is at the heart of this story. Now, as we read and as we strive to glean and learn about what it is for a fallen, sinful people to worship a holy God, I have an admission to make. There are times in our study, perhaps you've already anticipated it in what I've said this morning or you've thought about it before, there are times as we work our way through this book where there will be some awkwardness. There's just no way around it in some of the subject matter that that God addresses. But rather than being concerned or even thinking about some of the features of Leviticus as awkward unrefined for a 21st century audience let me suggest that some of the features of the book of Leviticus should be regarded by us as unique unique for a purpose and with a motivation as we come to these things that seem strange to us that seem unique they are unique for a purpose what is that purpose so that a holy God might dwell among an unholy people. That is the question at the heart of this book. How can a holy God dwell among an unholy people? And do you remember what Moses said as they were getting ready to set out? He desperately declared that If God did not go with them, then He had no hope. He could not lead these people. They needed the one true and living God, the Most Holy God, to dwell among them, to guide them. And this book is God's gift to show them how the Most Holy God will dwell among an unholy people. But out of that purpose, I believe there is a motivation in God's giving them even all of the unique and to our ears sometimes strange details. And what is the motivation? It's God's love. It's God's love for His people. In Exodus 34, we read, "...the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. There is much that I hope that we glean from this book about God's desire for us to live as His holy people. But if there's only one thing out of this whole study that you take away, I hope that by the end, if not today, but by the end of our time in this book, that you will see this sometimes feeling remote, unique, awkward book as a gift of God's grace to His people. I remember when I was a graduate student, reading through the book of Deuteronomy. And there was one evening as I was reading through the book of Deuteronomy and that recounting of the law a second time that happens there in that book. And I remember being struck with a notion this is not just God's heavy expectations for His people. This book this Word is a gift of His grace to them. How is, how is Deuteronomy, how is Leviticus a gift of God's grace? If you have done any kind of research or experimenting, not even at a a formal level, but informally, you're, you're creating something and you're experimenting with new ways to create or new ways to paint, new ways to sew, or some other form of creative activity that you are experimenting with, you know that the work of research and experimenting of creativity is a work of trial and error. Friends, there is no work of experimenting. There is no work of trial and error for figuring out how an unholy people can be in the presence of a holy God. Because the message of Leviticus is that if you experiment with how to live as in the presence of a holy God, you will be consumed. Just read Leviticus 10 this afternoon. Moses, Aaron, Moses's, or excuse me, Aaron's, two of Aaron's sons, experiment with how they will worship this one true and living God. And that's the end of their days. But in God's kindness, in his grace, he tells his people: this is how I want you to live in my presence. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to have someone over here keeping log. Well, when Benjamin did this, he didn't get struck down by lightning. But when Sarah did that, whoa, that was the end. So we better do this and not that. Instead, God says, do this and not that. It is God's kindness that he gives this book to his people. It is God's kindness that he has preserved this word for us today so that I can say, without hesitation, really. We really should give our time to this oft-neglected corner of God's Word. Why? Quickly, let me give you some reasons why we, as a New Testament people, should study this particular Old Testament book first, because Leviticus is God's revelation of himself. Leviticus is God's revelation of himself. We want to know God's word for us, we want to know how He reveals himself. Well, friends, today he reveals himself in the book of Leviticus. consider psalm nineteen seven through 8 The law of the Lord is perfect The testimony of the Lord is sure The precepts of the Lord are right The commandment of the Lord is pure If you're familiar with Psalm 19 you know that I've skipped over portions of it All of those things that I just read are true about God's word about the law about Leviticus It's sure it's perfect it's right it's pure But do you know what else those verses go on to say, or what they say interwoven with those affirmations about the perfection of God's Word? Listen, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Friends, Leviticus is perfect. It revives the soul. Leviticus is sure. It makes wise the simple. Leviticus is right. It rejoices the heart. Leviticus is pure. It enlightens the eyes. Why should we give our attention to this Word? Because it is God's Word that changes us. We frequently refer to 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 where Paul writes, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That all Scripture, all of it, down to the very letters themselves, in the originals, God's inspired, inerrant Word. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's Word is profitable as it is wielded for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness? Do you believe that about Leviticus? Do you believe that about this unique book? Friends, Leviticus is God's revelation of Himself that changes us if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. But also, Leviticus is worth our attention because, friends, if you are in Christ, this story is a part of our family history. This is is our family history. Think about Ephesians 2, where Paul writes to a predominantly Gentile congregation to Gentiles, non-Jews, and writes about how they were far off. They were the ones who were not a part of the covenant promises. But in Christ, Paul does not say in Christ, now the Jews have been brought near, though there is a way in which we could say that. do Do not misunderstand me or hear what I am not saying. But he says that the Gentiles were brought near in Christ. Brought near to the promises. But also in Romans chapter 11. This afternoon, perhaps you want to read Romans eleven seventeen and following. What does Paul write there about Gentile believers? He says that they are grafted into the people of God so that by faith in Christ we are grafted into God's redemptive work so that this is also our story. This is not just their story. This is our story about how our loving, redeeming, saving God has worked out His plan of redemption. And this is One of the most important chapters in all of that story. So friends, let us learn our family history. Leviticus is about worship. I hope you heard that as I was walking through a a brief summary overview just a few moments ago about the contents of this book. From start to finish, this book is about worship. And this is where, in part, my heart is for us as a church. Why? Because, as you know, we have a committee who is working and doing their work to search for a pastor who in part will have responsibilities over the music ministries of our church. What does this have to do with Leviticus? It has to do with this aspect. Often in our language, we conflate music and worship. We substitute the word worship when we're really talking about the music portion of Our gathered corporate worship. Everything that we have done this morning has been and is and will be an act of worship. We weren't only worshiping when we were singing. Everything that we do as we hear God's Word, as we pray together, as we sing together, it's all worship. But friends, it's not just in this hour that we are together that we worship. All of our lives are to be lived as an offering of worship to the God who has saved us. If you do not believe me, listen to Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, as Paul has just talked about the extravagant grace of God in Christ for the past 11 chapters, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. All of our lives, not just when we sing not just in the hour that we are together on Sunday morning. All of our lives, 24-7, 168 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, are to be lived as an offering of worship to the Lord. And as a book of, instructing God's people on worship. I believe that there is much for us to glean from this book for how we are as God's redeemed people to live a life of worship. But also, why should we give our attention to the book of Leviticus? This, I think, is the most important of all of them. And it is this. Because Leviticus points us to Jesus. Because the book of Leviticus points us to Jesus. All of the Old Testament points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself in Matthew 5.17 said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That is, it's not just that Jesus came to do all that it was required by the law. That is part of it. But He came to bring the law, to bring what we call the Old Testament, to its intended climax, to its completion, because... All of it is pointing to Him. All of it is preparing the way for Him, for that One who will come to crush the head of the servant, so that if we have ears to hear, this strange book points us to the Lord Jesus Christ, our King. But not just all of the Old Testament, but in particular, the book of Leviticus. We see this perhaps most clearly, not perhaps definitely most clearly in the new testament in the book of hebrews where multiple times the writer to the book of hebrews or the writer of the book of hebrews writes in reference to aspects of the book of leviticus and what is the refrain how much greater is jesus how much better is jesus for example hebrews 9:13 through 14 The Lord Jesus' sacrifice is supremely superior to everything that we read in the book of Leviticus. We see this in two ways. Think about, as, as we are working our way through this book, and at times, perhaps you will be overwhelmed, another sacrifice, all of the blood, again, over and over and over, let for a moment all of those sacrifices over all of those years add up. And then stop and think. One sacrifice did immeasurably more than what all of those sacrifices could have done. Because Romans 3, in all of those sacrifices, God was only passing over until perfect sacrifice could be made in the person of His Son. So that if we have ears to hear, if we have eyes to see, brothers and sisters, the book of Leviticus will help us to enjoy Christ more. The book of Leviticus will help us to treasure Christ more. The book of Leviticus will inspire us, enable us, equip us to follow Christ more faithfully. Because He is so much better than all that we will read about in this book. So will you join me as we seek to grow in treasuring Christ? As we seek to grow in following Christ? As we seek to grow in living our lives as the people of Christ? As we learn from the unique book, the book of Leviticus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to You once more, God, we thank You that You know exactly what we need and when we need it. Father, You know what we need to hear from these 27 chapters. And so, Father, as we embark on this study together, Father, we commit it to You and pray that You would be pleased to use Your Word in our lives to continue the work of grace that You have started, the work of grace that You have promised You will bring to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Well, Father, we also pray for any who are with us this morning. Father, we pray that though perhaps this morning there hasn't been a formal Gospel presentation as part of the sermon, Father, we pray We pray that if there is anyone in our midst who does not know the redeeming work of Christ, Father, we pray that they have heard a word about the supreme sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for sin. And we pray, Father, that they would flee to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. We pray, Father, that if they have questions that they would reach out to me or others to find out how they too can know your great love and mercy in Christ. Father, we pray that you would be pleased even this week to use your word to change us, to grow us, to correct us, to help us in our walk as we strive to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, our King.